I'm here. Hi, my name is Brandon, senior pastor here. Really glad that you are here today. Uh, it feels like spring. And the church said, Amen. yes, yes, so good. Uh, so uh, late last year, I, I uh, rejoined Team iPhone. Uh, team iPhone, hands in the air. Okay, Team Android. Okay, ooh. Team Android was a little bit quicker with the hands. You had more pride in what you uh, used than first service. <laughs> uh, so I rejoined Team iPhone. And if you have an iPhone, you know in the last few months at least, um, I'm not, I can't remember when exactly, but they did an update on our software where it started to show you this one thing. Uh, it's called screen time. Screen time. Uh, I don't know about you, but I got really scared when it was going to show me how much time I was actually on my phone. Anybody else there with me? You were worried about it. I was. Uh, because so this is what it does. Every, every week, it'll give you a little report of how much time you've been on your, on your phone every single day, and it'll break it down based on the app, and you can set limits on different things and all kinds of things, because uh, Apple realized something, that we as a people, as, uh, as smartphone users, we're starting to become very much aware of the addiction that we all have, that our hands are usually right here holding our phone and our faces are in it. I don't know about you. Maybe that is none of your problem, uh, but it certainly is mine. <laughs> so I, st- I saw this screen time thing. I started using it, started seeing it, and I got, that got me thinking, what if we could develop an app that wasn't just, it was like screen time, right? But it was worry time. Huh. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd be too worried about what, what to see what it would report to download it to see it. I'd be too worried. I probably wouldn't download it. Anybody there? You'd be, it'd be interesting, right, to see the breakdown of time that we worry on a given day and, and to see what it is that we worry about. We all have different worries, but I, I did some research. And according to the internet, and we all know if it's on the internet, it's true. That's what Abraham Lincoln said. Uh, <laughs> and uh, this, these are the top uh, worries that we deal with as humans, just generally speaking, at least in the West. Uh, the first thing is money and the future, like will we have enough of it and all of that. Uh, job security, uh, relationships, whether they're romantic relationships, spousal relationships, any of that, or friendships and family, we worry about that. The past, we worry about the past, as we talked about last week, where sometimes when you worry so much about the past, it's still in your present and it's still hindering you. Uh, some of us, we worry about our health or the health of others. We worry about gossip because we gossip. We worry about work because we don't enjoy what we do. We worry about aging. We worry about death. We worry about our safety or the safety of someone else. We worry about comparison. When someone else gets something that we wanted to have or they achieve something that we wanted to achieve and we start to compare ourselves to them. For those of, the, for those of us who are parents, uh, we have one main worry. And if uh, we have one main worry, it's, it's called survival. We get to the end of the day, we tuck our kids in bed and they are still alive and we say, thank you, Jesus. And the parents said, amen. <laughs> uh, another, you know, for parents, that our kids would follow the Lord like we worry about that. We want them to follow the Lord. We want uh, them, you know, when they get to the age where they start to talk back at us and they start to have their own ideas, they, we don't want them to shut us out. We worry about whether or not uh, they, they have good friends. They are surrounding themselves with good influences 
And we worry about the choices that they might make when we're not right by their side, helping them navigate right from wrong and all the different peer pressures that they face in our age, in our day. We worry, we have all kinds of worries. And I was, real, I was like thinking about this and, and I realized that one of my major worries is not something that was listed there, uh, but it's being misunderstood. And with the line of work I'm in, that probably happens every week. Y'all just don't ever, you know, always tell me about it <laughs> uh, when I'm misunderstood. But I used to write a lot. I used to write a lot on a website, uh, brandonkelly.org. Very original, right? Uh, and, and I would write about Christian life and theology and things like that. And uh, a number of years ago, I would, I would post those articles to a website called Reddit. And I don't know if you know Reddit, it's like a big forum and you can find all kinds of things that people are talking about it. But uh, I I would post those links to the Christianity subreddit and so people could discuss it and read it. Because when you write something, if you're a writer, you want people to read it, right? Unless you don't want them to read it and then you just keep it to yourself. But I want them to read it. I want them to be blessed by it. And so uh, I, I, I remember the day, specifically the last day I was on Reddit. Uh, I posted an article, I can't remember what it was about, but uh, the thing is, you know, about the internet is it's Facebook, email, texting, it's not a good avenue for having debate, amen? Having uh, con- like, you know, conflict, it's just not helpful. Uh, because I posted this thing and people started to uh, have different opinions and different like disagreements. And when someone doesn't agree with me or see my side of things because I believe I'm right, I wanna make sure they understand with enough grace but enough gusto that they understand that I'm right, you know? <laughs> And so that obsession of you know, not being misunderstood led me to be obsessed with that thread all day. And so I would, I would see what people would post, right? And I'd, I'd think through a nice response uh, and I'd type it up and I'd post it, press enter, and then I'd sit there refreshing it. My wife can attest to this. I'd sit there and refresh it and I was not feeling refreshed, you know? <laughs> you've, you've been there. Uh, and, and lo and behold, all that to say, I became obsessed about someone disagreeing with me because I, it required me not to just be in a conversation with someone where we could have immediate feedback on whether or not we're seeing eye to eye, but I had to wait for their responses. I, I can't stand that. So if you have a bone to pick with me, please come to, come to me, like in person. It's much better. Don't send a long email, okay? <laughs> uh, that, that just, you'll, I'll be coming to you after you send me the long email. Anyway, uh, forewarning. Um, but so like I had to just get rid of Reddit in my life, not because I was afraid of the discussions or anything like that, but because it became a worry, become an obsession. And, and for those of us who have worried a time or two, which I would imagine that'd be all of us, uh, you know that uh, eventually worry can be like a poison in your heart. Uh, it can paralyze you and it can make you feel like uh, everything is against you. And so today we're gonna talk about uh, what to do with worry what to do with worry. We're gonna continue in Philippians. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and take that out, Philippians chapter four. You have a, a smartphone app, version, whatever it is that you're using, it'll be up there too. But uh, we're, we're gonna just ask the question, what do we do with worry? Because I think if we get this right, if we follow God and what he would want us to do with worry, then maybe we wouldn't worry as much. And, and you know, I think when we think about having, finding joy in a discouraging world, uh, much of the world's discouragement leads us to worry about things. And so maybe God has something for you today that maybe change the way you interact with the things that plague you and that you worry about, that keep you up at night, that make you feel like everything's crashing in on you. So hopefully, uh, I believe God might set someone free today. Anyone believe that? God can do it. So let's, uh, let's dive in. Philippians 4, starting verse two, this is what, he's, what, what Paul says to the church. 
I urge Yudia and I urge Sintik. I don't know if that's how you're properly supposed to pronounce their name, but they are not here. I can't ask them. Uh, so I urge Yudia and I urge Sintik to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me and the God of peace will be with you. So uh, just a reminder, like this letter that Paul wrote would have been read to the whole church, okay? <laughs> so how would you feel if you're Yudia or Sintik uh, and you have a spat with the other person and you got called out in front of the whole church? That'd be fun, right? <laughs> just put it all out there for everyone to see. And so it tells me that maybe that this was some kind of conflict that was, uh, people were, they knew about it. People were being maybe even affected by it negatively. And so we see Paul calling these people out, these two women who had some kind of conflict. Uh, we see him calling them out. Uh, but it's interesting because he does not take sides. Again, it says, I urge Judea and I urge Syntyk to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, so there's a third party here, true partner to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers, whose names are in the book of life. These, these women have been walking with Paul, working with Paul, striving and contending together for the gospel of Jesus. And for some reason, they have done what we still do today, and that is to elevate a minor issue into a major conflict. Have you ever known the church to do that? You ever known the church to get up in arms about some kind of way they do things and, and, it, and it takes away the thrust of what is trying to be done in the actual end goal and that is to bring people to Jesus Christ for the, the people who are outside of these walls or in this community who do not yet know who Jesus is and the significance of what he, done, he has done for them that, that churches oftentimes implode from the inside out because of conflict that is usually in minor issues. And I don't know if it's encouraging or if it's depressing, but they did it then and we still do it now because we are all human beings and we continue to elevate, for some reason, secondary issues into primary things of conflict. And Paul's just saying, hey, uh, I don't need you to agree with each other. I don't. I need you to agree in the Lord. Find your agreement in God. Let's get back to basics. Who is God? Who is Jesus? Can we agree on that? Can we agree that people need him? Can we agree that your goal, your mission in life is not to win this argument, but it's to move forward together? Because there is a mission, there are people who need to know Jesus. So even then, people elevated minor issues into major conflicts, and then he goes on to say this, and I think he's kind of like, at the same time, still addressing them, but at the same time he's doing that, he's zooming out and addressing the whole church. So he says in verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness, or other translations 
uh, say gentleness. So like a fruit of the spirit, gentleness. Let your gentleness, your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So you see the thing in verse five, he just snuck it in there a little bit. It's easy to miss it. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. That's a statement that should provide them and us inspiration and conviction and motivation to agree in the Lord with each other and to rejoice in the Lord. To rejoice in the Lord. Like that should give us reason to be happy about our situation. No matter what it looks like on the outside because we're not alone. The Lord is near. He's gonna come back and he's still here with you right now. The Holy Spirit If you are following Jesus, the Holy Spirit is indwelling you and you are walking with him. He is walking with you. He is there to give you guidance and direction and wisdom and discernment. And sometimes we're too busy to hear him, but he's there. The Lord is near. So rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. You know, it's hard to worry when you're rejoicing. That was a truth, little little song thing. But it's also hard to rejoice when you're worrying, right? It's hard to rejoice when you're worrying. It's hard to worry when you're rejoicing. See, I think what was happening was uh, worry was holding them captive as a church because Paul knew what it is that they were worrying about because we've been walking through this. We know too that they were worried about the persecution that they were facing and the guy who's in prison was giving them encouragement that the fact that they were still, they were just kind of joining in what he was dealing with and they could go to it, they could go through it with confidence that God's with them. They were worried about Paul's situation, right? They, they, they could see that, that, that Paul was in, uh, imprisoned and they, they just thought the worst, right? And so they sent a guy, Epaphroditus, to go and minister to this guy named Paul, right? The one who's writing to them. And then they found out that as they were doing that, bad things got worse and Epaphroditus ended up sick almost to the point of death. And so they were worried. Like Paul knew that they were worried as a church. They were just worried about, and it's a good thing to be concerned, right? Like we don't want to not be concerned about the well-being of people. But they let it get beyond that. They let it get to the point of worry where it was paralyzing them. That's, that's what they were obsessing about. And that's why Epaphroditus was going to be going back to them. But just like us, Paul knew that they had other worries too. Not just the ones he knew about, but ones that weren't being spoken of. And I think what happens is, go with me here, this picture. Um, I think when we worry, what, what happens is, is we are in darkness. We wake up in a dark place with bars around us, all the way around us. And when we worry, we place ourselves in that place. But the interesting thing is while worry may hold us captive, we also hold the key. We also hold the key. Because what Paul is saying is that when you worry... In everything, take that to God because that's the way you get out of that bondage. That's the way you get out of that imprisonment. It's, I think it's interesting that Paul is imprisoned in this moment. He's physically not free. He's physically in bondage, yet mentally, in his head and in his heart, mentally and spiritually, he is more free than they are. Did you know that you could be free physically and not free 
spiritually and mentally? Did you know that? And those things can even get to the point where you are still being imprisoned even physically because you don't know what to do. It impacts the way you live. I think what Paul is saying is that there is a way to get beyond your worry in everything. That, that you can take your worries to God. And I know that's very cliche and that may not sound like very uh, groundbreaking, but when you know who God is, it is. Because he's the one, he's the only one who can carry the burdens that you're trying to carry on your own. So verse six, he, he says this, don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. What is he saying there? Let's break that down. Don't worry about anything. So there's stuff we're worrying about. Don't worry about that. But in everything, so all the things that you might worry about, all the things, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, thanks God, present your request to God. So the, the Greek and the requests, uh, that, that word is very, like you take specific things to God and you make those your prayer. So what is he saying? I think what he's saying is a picture of you take your worries and you sit it across the table from you and you bring in that nice metal chair that you see in shows and you stick it right there on the other side of the, of the table and you interrogate your, your worries. You say, hey, worry, why are you here? What have you been doing? What are you trying to do? Where are you coming from? What's your motivation? Who's in this with you? You got some friends? Are you scheming? What is the plan? And you start to ask questions of your worries because oftentimes we are held bondage and bondage by our worries because we never question them. We allow them to dictate what we think and then we end up realizing that we don't have the key because even though we're holding it, the whole time that we're in bondage, we start to ignore that fact and we give in to the worries. I think what, what, we're, what, we're, what Paul's saying is that don't worry about anything because you can take whatever it is that you're holding on your back, trying to carry on your own. Most of us, a lot of us, we are in bondage to our worries physically, mentally, spiritually, all of that. And we are trying to carry that boulder up a mountain. And guess what? I know one who can squat more than you can. I know one who can deadlift more than you can. He can carry the boulder and we need to let it go because when we let our worries go and give them to God specifically and intentionally, then he is saying, hey, you got the key. Open the door and get out. And guess what? God will then take that worry and he'll put it in the cage because he wants you to be free. He wants you to be free. So we're supposed to take those worries, interrogate them, and turn them into prayers, because when we let worry settle in, eventually it destroys us. Eventually it destroys us. It decays our hope, it erodes our faith, and it cripples our resolve. We don't, we throw our hands up, we don't want to deal with it anymore. We have given in, we have thrown the key out when we've been holding it the whole time. So I think we need to interrogate our worries because, uh, you know, <laughs> if the worry was a bully, uh, we've got a daddy who can handle it. We can take it to him. He's got the power to deal with it, whatever it is that you're dealing with. You know, oftentimes we don't let go of our worries because we're busy carrying it and, and that's what is holding us in bondage is because we're not letting it go. And sometimes like we can attach our worries to our identity and then, then we're in a bad place because then we cling to the worry because that's a part of who I am. I'm a person who isn't loved 
I'm a person who uh, is unlovable. I'm a person who has no hope because I've never seen hope in my life. I'm a person who cannot cut it. I'm a person who has nothing good to give. Our worries can make us think those things and when we attach those things to our identity, then we are in trouble because it can eventually destroy us. But you know what we can do, we can take that to our God because he is the one, he's the only one who can carry the things that you are worrying about. That's why he went to the cross, not only to, to, to nail your sins to that cross with him, but to nail your shame and your guilt because the scriptures say that, that God is working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. All things, you may not see it now. What you expected God to do may not be what is happening. What you thought might've happened is not happening. And you're worrying about it. You're controlling it. If you're a type A personality like me and my wife, we are controlling. <laughs> but you know what? We gotta let go of control because it's only in that place where we'll experience freedom. And when we do that, when we take our worries and we, we turn them into prayer requests, that's going to strengthen my resolve when my God's got it. That's going to solidify my faith when my God's got it. That's going to build my hope when God has got it. Because what I think he's saying is that we can take our worries, we can, we can twist them, we can turn them then into prayer requests, we can interrogate them, figure out what they're trying to accomplish, take them to our Father, and we can tell our worries, hey, worry, you have no power over me because I know my God has got it, and he's going to turn this worry into my testimony because no longer am I gonna be plagued by you, but my story is that God delivered me through it, and I'm gonna help someone else who is worrying about it too. That's what God does. He redeems these things, but we have to give it to him. We can't be busy holding it. And I have to just, I, I'm, I'm thinking like, because of what I've done in my life, I know that sometimes our worries are things that we feel like we can't let go of for whatever reason. Like sometimes we think they're not big enough for God to worry about. He's got, a, he's got his plate full, you know, you know, taking care of the universe and all that stuff. <laughs> He cares about your minuscule worries as much as your big worries, as much as you think it's not significant in the grand scheme of the universe, it's significant to him and he wants you to bring it to him. <laughs> I'll read this again. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There's a promise to this, that the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Think about this. So like you've got, picture a line outside of a building, right? It's one of these lines that's, it's, uh, it's roped by red velvet ropes, right? They get trying, people waiting, waiting to get into the, to the club or whatever they're going into. But think about, they're waiting in line to get into your hearts and mind, your heart and mind. They're waiting. And it's the kind of line that has a big guy at the front with a clipboard, and he's asking him, everyone who comes to try and get in, are you on the list? What's your name? And I just have to picture that maybe, maybe the bouncer is God. Maybe the bouncer is God. And he's, a, he's a good bouncer, you know? <laughs> so just picture it. First person comes up to him, hey, what's your name? And they say, hope decayer. Sorry, sister, you're not on the list. You're not getting in. Hey, what's your name? Faith eroder. Sorry, sister, you're not on the list. Hey, what's your name? Resolve crippler. It's a weird name. Sorry, bro, you're not on the list. 
You're not on the list. Paul goes on, verses eight and nine. He says this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me and the God of peace will be with you. Stop, interrogate, and listen. Stop, interrogate, and listen. Back with a brand new invention. Some of y'all got that. Others, you'll have to ask someone else. (laughs) That's what we need to do with our worries is stop, interrogate them, and listen. And the bouncer goes on in the line. He says, hey, what's your name? The next person says, my name's Honor. Come on in. Hey, what's your name? Justice. Come on in. Hey, what's your name? Purity. Come on in. Hey, what's your name? Lovely. Come on in. Hey, what's your name? Commendable. Come on in. Hey, what's your names? My name's Excellence, and this is my wife, Praiseworthy. Come on in. See, what if, what if, like, what if when we took our worries and we identified them, and then we, we stopped long enough to not just let it go on by, and we took them to our God who has all power and loves you tremendously, and we said, hey God, I'm dealing with this, can you please take it? And then what if in that moment, the peace of God starts to guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus so that when you are faced with something that is going to be a prompt for you to worry, what if he said, no, you're not coming in so that you can let the good in? What if if God wanted to do that, but it required us to take our hands off and to let him do the work? So I've got four antidotes to worry and bitterness four antidotes to worry and bitterness from this passage. The first thing is the rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Do you have things like, do you have something in your life that you can go back to that maybe, maybe you're like me and you, you go back to who you were before Jesus, before Jesus rescued and ransomed you and transformed you and changed you from the inside out? Can you go back to that time in your life where you can say, I used to be an enemy of God, but because God loved me so much, he sent his son Jesus and then he rescued me, he changed me. Can you go back to that? Because that's a prompt to rejoice. That's a prompt to praise. Can you go back maybe to someone you know and you, and you, you could see them, they used to be one thing and then God changed them into something else. You could see God at work in them. We all need to keep the work of God in our forefronts because we can forget it. But he's at work, y'all. He's changing people. Maybe he's changed you. We need a rhythm to rejoice. Can you think about the character of God, the fact that he loves you even though sometimes you don't love yourself? so that you can rejoice in him, you can celebrate in him, you can lift him up, you can hold him in honor, you can say, God, you are amazing. You ever have moments where you rejoice in the Lord? I think we need to build a rhythm of rejoicing. So like what that looks like maybe in in your world is maybe you're on your way to work or on your way to school or whatever it is that you're going to. And uh, maybe, maybe you love music and you can get some, some, some music that's like uh, a worship music, worship album, whatever it is. Go on Spotify, you can find all kinds of stuff or whatever it is that you use to listen to music, Star 88.3, whatever it is. 
and you can get your mind right before you go into work or go into school or whatever it is that you have to go to? What if you got in the habit of rejoicing in the morning before your day started? Or there's, an, there's another app. I'll give you another app plug. It's called Dwell. I think it's fitting, very fitting for today. It's called Dwell and it's, a, it's an audio Bible. And it's, it's got music and stuff in the background. It makes it very engaging. But maybe you need to just get in God's word as you're driving so that you can be thinking about and dwelling upon the good things that God has said. We need to rejoice in the Lord. Number two, let your gentleness or your graciousness be known by everyone. And I have to admit, this is a hard one. Because it doesn't say, let your gentleness or graciousness be known by some people. It says by everyone. And I don't know about you, but the people who it's hardest to show your gentleness or my gentleness or graciousness with everyone, which that's something God's got a lot more progress to be made. I got to keep letting him go uh, and work in me because the gentleness thing is <laughs> really how I'm wired. Uh, so I got to let him work on that. But you know who's hardest to show gentleness toward? At least for me. It's the people who's closest to you. Like, think about it, right? You, you, uh, you, you have family over, uh, another family, uh, not your family, another family. Have them over for dinner. You're on your best behavior, right? Everything's, the, the house is spotless, you know? <laughs> you, you have, uh, uh, you, you, you go to school and for the most part, you know, you're on your best behavior. You go to work and your coworkers know you as, Someone who your family doesn't know you by because you're gentle with them. I don't know about you, but this is me, right? Uh, what, if, what if God is saying, and I think he is, uh, that we need to let our gentleness be known by everyone and that includes the people in our homes. Like let your gentleness be known by your parents. Do your, do your parents know you as someone who's gentle? Growing up, my parents did not at all. <laughs> that was a real, that was a tool. Okay. <laughs> Let's be real here, okay? Does your spouse know you, know your gentleness? Do your kids know your gentleness? I've, I noticed something a couple months ago when Sarah and I talked about it. I noticed that um, I'm least gentle when I have a distraction in front of me. That screen time. Trying to deal with something, trying to work through some email or something like that. Uh, and my kids want something, right? And I bite at them because I'm distracted. Uh, when we're busy, I, I know this for me, uh, I'm sure this is for you. When, busyness does not breed gentleness. <laughs> it's not, it doesn't do that. That's not how it works. So maybe we need to slow down and let our gentleness be known by everyone because busyness does not breed gentleness, but when we slow down and pay attention to how we are living, how we are interacting with people, especially those who are closest to us, it'll help us. The third thing is to pray in everything with thanksgiving. So we interrogate our worries, we ask them questions, we, we say, why are you here? And we give them to God and, and we set them up as pivots to prayer requests but then we can thank him before we even feel like the worry is gone. Instead of waiting till we feel like God took away the worry, maybe we can thank him before he does it or before we feel like he did it because he's gonna do it. He's gonna take it. And maybe the reason it's still a burden is because you're still carrying it. So if you've got a boulder on your back, let it go. Let him carry it because again, he can squat more than you can. 
The fourth thing is to dwell on what is excellent and worthy of praise. Now this was, <laughs> this is hard because you think about your life, you think about this world and you start to ponder, all right, what, what is honorable? What is just? What is true? What is pure? What is lovely? What is commendable in this world? What is of moral excellence in our society? What is praiseworthy? What is that? And to that, I say Jesus. The Hebrew writer said to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Maybe, if, maybe we need to start there, to fix our eyes on him, to dwell on him, because he's the one. Is, could, could, you, could you consider, uh, church, maybe, is, is Jesus true? Is Jesus honorable? You can say something. Is Jesus just? Is Jesus pure? Is Jesus lovely? Is he commendable? Is he morally excellent? Is he praiseworthy? Is he worthy of praise? Is he worthy of us lifting our voices in praise to him? Yes, he is. And so then we start to think about, okay, if we're dwelling on Jesus, then we also consider, we also put in our minds those good things. So what, is, what brings Jesus glory? What gives him, uh, uh, what pleases him? What can I think about that is going to advance the mission of Jesus? What am I dwelling on? What are you letting in? Dwell on Jesus. I know that's so simple to say, but when we do it, that's when it changes. It's not just so much the, the truth that we know, but it's the truth that we do that matters. But here's a bonus thing, and this is something that we often don't, don't do. And that's what we see in Paul. He said to get a third party. Get a third party. Get somebody else involved. Some of us, like we've got something going on and it's far beyond what we can handle. It's far beyond what we can work through with that other person. And we just need to get a third party Involved so that they can speak the truth, speak the gospel into our situation so that we can get off the high horse and start to realize what is really the case. So get a third party. Uh, and this doesn't even mean like you don't even have to be in a conflict for this to happen. Uh, you could be taking your worries, interrogating them, taking, taking them as prayer requests to God. And you could say, hey God, uh, could you show me someone I can get, get, get in contact with and maybe you take them to coffee and you confess to them what's really going on because we're called to bear one another's burdens, not for us to bear our own. We're called to bear one another's burdens. So like, think about this then. Think about this. Like if we did these things, if we, if we followed Jesus and, and started to uh, not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, by, with thanksgiving, take our requests to God. What if, we, what if we got to the point where we had that worry time app on our phone and we started getting the reports on a Sunday afternoon and we could see that the progress was being made that, you know what, this week, I, I worried 10% less than I did last week. 20% less, 30% less, 70% less. And maybe that, that, that screen time or that worry time idea wouldn't be a, a prompt of worry, but it would be a prompt of praise because we could start to see that God is changing things. Test him. Give him your worries. Stop holding on to them. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, he'll turn them into your testimony. Because what used to hinder you can oftentimes be the pathway and the thing that God uses you in to bless someone else. And so don't waste your worry. Take it to him. Take it to him. Turn it into a prayer request. Whatever it is that you're worrying about, I don't know what it is that you're worrying about. I don't know. But you do. If you just stop long enough to really ask the question, who are you, worry? But the thing is, God knows it by name, knows your worries, and he can handle it.
He can take it. So stop, interrogate, and listen. Stop, interrogate, and listen. When it comes to your worries, slow down, interrogate them, and then take them to God and listen to what he wants you to do. Listen to him and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Wouldn't that be a good thing? And church, that's where you said yes. Let's pray.